Hi, welcome to the first results bulletin for season three of which decade? Pleased to report we had a very healthy number of votes for season three, episode one. Actually, we got more votes for this episode than for any of the episodes in season two. And it was actually our second highest vote count ever, which is very pleasing. That's the direction in which we want to be travelling. I've got Nick and Trev here with me. Hello. Hello there. A couple of general comments about the episode as a whole. Craig says, great episode. I've never seen such a gulf between the good ones and the terrible, though. While Malcolm the Break Doctor says, how on earth three of these songs were number ones baffles me. In fact, how two of them are even in the top 40 is somewhat mind-boggling to me. Maybe I'm just out of touch. I can confirm Malcolm is not out of touch. Like, <laughs> trust me, I know the music that Malcolm's into. There are very few people who are more in touch. Like, he makes John Peel look like he's a backseat driver to this whole music thing. Like, he's, <laughs> he has got his finger on the throbbing pulse, trust me. I also don't want to preempt his votes, but I presume he would have had to have been out of touch in 1972. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Let's crack on them. In last place, earning minus one points for the poor old 2000s, Will Young and Gareth Gates with the long and winding road. No. Ooh. Equal first when we did our votes, but we thought it was going to slide a bit. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that still echoes kind of how I feel about it. It is a great song. Is that a great version? It's not a bad version. Well, Trev, you voted it second. I did. Nick voted it first, and only one other listener placed Will and Gareth in their top three. Everybody else, it was either meh or it was worst. It wasn't a slam dunk all the way through the voting, by the way. Another song was last for a long time, and then Will and Gareth sunk. I sold out on my own opinions. I said it either needed to be the best one or the worst, and then I went second. So I'm a turncoat myself. I've, I've only myself to blame. Yes, talking to people who are out of touch. I think it might be you and I, Trev, turns out. Let's see <laughs> what our esteemed commentariat have to say about the long and winding road. So, James, Centres of Sound, he says, Sorry, I'm afraid the expensive, I might say overcooked production only serves to highlight how unnecessary this cover version is. And when we get to the melisma, it actively begins to grate. Though it's just three minutes long, it does indeed seem to be long and winding. Ed says an unnecessary cover of the 80th best Beatles song. It needs a delicate touch. And even though it's only slightly oversung, that's enough to pull the whole thing down. Hedgerow says, outside of the role it apparently played in the singing competition mythology, the main selling point for me is that by making a duet, it sounds like they're singing it to each other. An awkward love is cute, but it's not enough for me. Well, Jeff who was the one listener, put it in the top three, Jeff voted it second. He just says, I couldn't help smiling and saying, that's lovely. Now that's interesting because if it's the Jeff that I think it is, he is a very accomplished musician. And I would have naturally thought that version would appeal to, let's say, not, you know, I mean, I'm a DJ, I'm mm. not a musician, I press play. And if it's the Jeff, I think it is, really is a switched on muso, and he agrees with me. So 
Yeah, maybe I'm uh, not so out of touch, actually. Equally, I completely agree with all the people slagging it off as well. (laughs) Message to Jeff. If Trev knows you and you are indeed an accomplished musician, please let us know. I think you're on Patreon, aren't you, Jeff? Patreon.com forward slash which decade tops, that is. So um, drop me a comment on Patreon. I will forward it. We'll clear up this mystery. I listened to the naked version. You know that you were saying on the last episode about the naked version of Long and Wise Road with the greatest of respect to Paul McCartney. Phil Spector improved it. Right. In the Met Zone, absolute dead level heat in the Met Zone between... Our early loser who clawed it back a bit towards the end, that's Lieutenant Pigeon for the 1970s with Moldy Old Doe. That's tied with Tasman Archer from the 1990s with Sleeping Satellite. So, comments for Lieutenant Pigeon. Ed says, this is pure British oddness, but it's so great. It can't escape its origins in the way something like Telstar can, but not everything has to. It really gives me comfort and joy every time I hear it. James says, it's the honky-tonk piano that does it for me here. It's so wistful and melancholy, but just grabs me so. Then that flute coda. I had this on a compilation LP called The World of Rock and Fun and listened to it a great deal as a slightly odd child in the late 80s. I'm not positive that it's the best song here, but it's the one that means the most to me. Incidentally, Jarvis Cocker chose this as one of his Desert Island discs, and it was the one that he would save from the waves. Hedrow says, I was not prepared for this in a not so good way. The one vocal line sounds like it's delivered by Animal and the Muppets, which helped me appreciate it. Joris says, I know Moldy Old was a bit of a cult classic in certain circles, but from an outsider perspective, i.e. not being British and or a kid in the 70s, it's just a quaint, not very interesting novelty song. It is British oddness. You know, the, these weird things we have, we've got them in Nairsville with the bed race or there's the cheese rolling uh, contest mm. or that one where people fall down a hill or there's the game of football that they play in a river or Atherston has that big game of old football where it looks like they're actually going to kill each other and it's quite terrifying but you know that british odd event has anybody ever soundtracked an odd event with odd british music because like i play at bedfest part of the bed race and like do i need to do a half hour bit of odd these are weird well yeah definitely lieutenant pigeon and the nares but bed race fit together like hand in glove are they still touring could we get them no, because we've already earmarked Chicory Tip to play a gig in Nairsborough when we get our 100th Patreon subscriber, assuming that's before the end of season three, thanks to Nick's amazing generosity. If you got Chicory Tip, you could get Lieutenant Pigeon as main support. Do you think they'd be arguing about who was the support and who was the headliner? Because they both had one number one. Chicory Tip had the more hits, so they probably have to headline. More hits in the sense they had two hits. Oh, yeah. Well, they had three hits. Lieutenant oh, Pigeon had two. Three hits is more than an awful lot of rave PAs give you. Yeah. Again, oh, what time are they on? Oh, 7.30. Cool, well, I'll get there at 7.35. Oh, no, make sure you're there at 7.30 because they're only on for four minutes. All right. Comments for Tasman Archer and specifically... Comments for that organ solo, because everybody had something to say about Tasman's organ solo. So Alex says, 
I'm in the mic camp, read the organ solo. I liked the organ solo. I remember first hearing this track, getting drawn into it verse by verse, then being floored by that organ solo, which was so unexpected. I might be overanalyzing, but I guess they'd included it as a musical throwback to records that were being made at the end of the 60s, the time of the moon landings. Hedro says, it took years, but this song kept lingering in my head. I'm glad I was able to track it down. It's a bit overproduced. I'm staring at you, organ bit. But the build-up to anthemic everythingness just works for me. Most attempts at similar things strike me as mere attempts. This one doesn't. James says, it's a very odd concept for a pop song, and the execution is nothing short of perfect. One of those records where you keep picking up little production touches. I even love the organ solo. Yes, it's a bit M.O.R., but there's room for some of that in the world of music. And Malcolm says, I actually really like this song. It seems a little ageless and very singable, which is more than I can say for the 70s entry. I actually really like that keyboard solo. So I think that was three to one in favour of the keyboard solo there. I think I came down fairly heavily against it, didn't I? Nick, where were you on the organ solo? I forget. Well, I was just going to say, it's not the first time Mike's been floored by an organ. Oh, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Good God. Sorry. That was an open goal. That was a tapping, to use a phrase. Oh, my new phrase. That was a tapping. A tapping. The organ solo is fine, just like the song is fine. Okay. Into the top three. This is just out of the Met Zone by the skin of its teeth, because until the very last set of votes, we had an unprecedented three-way tie. And the last set of votes brought this one into the top three by one point. And so Rihanna earns that one point for the 2010s with diamonds. Hedro says, simple message, well told, of its time, but I suspect it'll echo well. Mark says, I am pro Rihanna and non-big voice R&B, broadly. I am anti-seer. To me, this is deeply dreary. James says, one of those songs I encountered more than actively heard, and consequently, the shine bright like a diamond refrain started to annoy. Unfortunately, there's not really enough elsewhere for me to get over this. I prefer her EDM phase, to be perfectly honest. Ed says, it's my go-to karaoke song. I love belting it out at both the wrong pitch and wrong pace. I would like to point out there are some incredible reggae remixes out there, if that is your thing as well. P.S., If this is Rihanna doing Sia, then surely Cheap Thrills is the opposite. Oh, that's an interesting call. Yeah, I see. I get that. I get that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm surprised this didn't do better. I assumed it was a banger that everybody loved. But there we go. Again, some of Rihanna's stuff now is, you know, the idea that it's aging well. And I think that's one of the most important things about pop music. You know, something that at the time, just take it or leave it, whatever generally didn't care but later on you go oh actually yeah that's better and you know rihanna's now at that stage she's been around a long long time isn't it you play old school classic rihanna now when i listen back to the last episode i heard myself describing diamonds as repetitive and on reflection i think that was unfair there's lots of great records that are a repetitive and b a lot more repetitive than diamonds it's a subjective thing because like james that shame bright like a diamond 
chorus really irritates me. So every time I hear it, I'm like aware of the repetition more than it actually was repeated. You see what I mean? There'll be plenty of repetition in one of the songs in the next episode, by the way, little teaser for you. Okay, there is a massive, massive leap in the scores between Rihanna and our top two. And in second place, earning two points for the 1960s, we find the Tornadoes with Telstar. Alex says, this is the Star Wars theme concept decades in advance. The exploration of space portrayed as an epic frontier Western. It's even got clippity-clop hoof drumming. <laughs> Incredible production for the time. Probably wouldn't have it on repeat. Ed says, 60 years after the fact, this still manages to make us dream of a golden future, even as that dream seems further away than ever, and all achieved without a single word spoken or sung. A rare glimpse of perfection from the pre-Beatles 60s. Craig says, did anyone else think the tornado sounded like the musical equivalent of a flying car or having protein pills for your dinner? Retro-futurist heaven. But Malcolm says... I can't share the love of the presenters for this sci-fi-esque weirdness. Kitsch, and very much not my thing. Can't deny it's kitsch. I do agree. We've talked a lot on this show of songs that came out in the early 60s, which sound terrible. You know, they were pre-time recorded in a cupboard. And I think the fact that it's 60 years old and sounds quite so urgent and modern is astonishing. And also a plus point for Margaret Thatcher for seeing the greatness in Telstar. <laughs> Even a stopped clock, etc., etc. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would have won had I not mentioned that. I think that's clearly dragged it down into second place. <laughs> <laughs> well, there wasn't much in it between second and first place, but there was enough in it to make it a conclusive win. So, in first place... It's our winning decade from season two, the 1980s, represented by Musical Youth and past the Duchy. James says, three and a half minutes of complete joy. The only melancholy here is when you consider the later lives of the band. The production is also perfect with so many little intricate touches. Malcolm says, this is pure pop gold euphoria and deserving of winning this episode by a mile. Mark says, still enjoyable, not, though, the sound of the Notting Hill Carnival. The songs I most associate with Carnival are Ring the Alarm by Tenor Saw and Whoop Whoop Sound of the Police by KRS-One. And Alex says, musical youth. They replaced the offending word with something that meant a pot. A pot. Pot. <laughs> pot. Get it? Pot. Clever. Yeah. Spot that. Yeah. yeah, good one. Oh, get it now. I was watching um, Portrait Artist of the Year the other day. Don't judge me. Um, I love it. Love it. We watch it religiously. And Ainsley Harriet, they have to bring on an item with them, something that means something to them. And he brought on a duchy. Oh, an actual duchy? An actual duchy. He didn't pass it to anybody. They never made that joke. I was like, you're missing He brought Absolutely. a duchy onto TV and didn't mention the song past the duchy. I mean, surely Stephen Mangan, right? He's a comedian, isn't he? Surely he should have, like, spotted this. He's the right age to have heard past the Duchy in his formative years, and maybe he never twigged that there was another original meaning and maybe inspired his lifelong love of cookery. It made him want to go out and buy a Duchy. Greatness followed. 
I don't know if we've got thousands of listeners to this podcast, but surely someone has a contact to Ainsley Harriet. <laughs> we can get him. Come on, Ainsley. Give us the answers that we need. You were aware that that was part of a massive tune. I mean, Ainsley Harriet has got a Calypso spin-off musical band that's very carnival. That's it. Yeah, I've, uh, I'm trying to think of the song that I own and played by them. It's quite it's good. Wow. It was interesting to hear Mark's Carnival soundtrack. It all depends on the year you went. I've been to Carnival once, 1987, worked with my sister. We went both days. So my Carnival tunes, it was the height of rare groove. So it was Cross the Trap by Mace Hill and the Max. I Believe in Miracles by the Jackson Sisters. And, and this is amazing in retrospect, but honestly, it was everywhere. Roadblock by Stock Aitken Waterman. Absolute <laughs> Carnival tune. Stock Aitken Waterman weren't yet a dirty word in music. And of course the roads were blocked for all the sound systems. That was them being very clever, wasn't it? Yeah, they put it out as a white label scam. It's Ainsley Harriet's Calypso band called Reggae Steady Cook. And if not, then why not? I know this is something I've not imagined. And I'm looking in my Calypso folder of music. Oh, where the hell is it? I'll, I'll have to get back to you on this because I can't <laughs> find it. This definitely exists. I'm beginning to get worried now. No, I'm sure this is a thing. Well, on that cliffhanger, I think we can bring this results bulletin to a close. <laughs> no look at the master scoreboard because it's the first episode, but I can order report that the 80s once again are in first place and the 2000s are still struggling badly. I have a hunch the 2000s might catch a break in our next episode, which will be dropping into your devices of choice in a few days' time. And so until then, it's goodbye from me, goodbye from Nick, and goodbye from Trev. There's a website, calypsotwins.co.uk. It's Ainsley Harriet's Calypso Band. Oh, thank God, I've not lost my mind. There's only five instruments. You're only allowed to use five instruments at a time. Look, you've got to check this out. Oh, my God. This image. He's singing into a maraca. <laughs> There's your support act. That's who's supporting <laughs> Lieutenant Pigeon and Chicory Tip. <laughs>